0: I think it's really important that people have a really clear theological foundation for their shift to become affirming. It cannot just be rooted in secular mantras of love is love, or even, you know, just the basic concept of, well, God is love, therefore, right, you got to go a lot deeper than that.
1: Well, friends, welcome back to the podcast. and. I think we have got our bumper music settled in now, so I think I think this is it. This is it for now, at least. And we have a new logo and a new name. Maybe if you are paying attention in your podcast app, you have seen it pop up. We're calling this the Space for Faith Podcast. We've got a fancy new logo, all uh, thanks to our friend Jacob Titus. Jake, thank you for your help on this walked me through a whole process of us trying to figure out how to rebrand this and name this. And one of the fascinating things that he did is he took several of the episodes that we had done and he transcribed them to see like what kinds of words show up over and over again. What are the things that you're saying a lot, which is always like a weird thing. I remember I used to very regularly, I still do this, some, but very regularly I used to watch my sermon, re-listen to my sermon, especially when I was preaching on a, on a weekly basis. And it was always like a bit strange to hear the words that I would use over and over again, it was helpful because it would help me see like, oh, I'm super annoying because I keep saying this thing all the time. And this, this felt like the same sort of thing where I was like, oh gosh, I do. I say these things a lot, but what else was helpful about that was it helped us just sort of uncover like, oh, here's some of the heartbeat that's here. And one of the things that Jake noticed is he said, you talk about space a lot. Creating space for faith, creating space for conversations, creating space for people's journeys, creating space for like different expressions. He said you're you're using that a lot, and so we kind of played with that for a while, came up with space for faith, we want to create space for one another, want to create space for these faith conversations, and particularly, particularly we want to have a bent towards creating space around reimagining the church for our present moment. And so we've been having those kinds of conversations in a lot of different kinds of ways. And if you have been tracking here, maybe you have noticed over the last several episodes for, for this year in particular, as we've been putting these out, have tried to still have kind of the big, broad faith conversations that we were having about whatever the particular topic is, but then to also like hone it in a little bit. And we asked some questions that might be A little bit more particular towards church leaders faith leaders people who are doing work in the church in some sort of way and so uh, i hope that that's helpful for you and yeah so we've got all that squared away now some of you are here and you're listening and you have been a part of the post-evangelical church leaders and artists and uh pastors like gathering that we put together. Some of you have heard about that and you want to be a part of the next one. I want to let you know, um, we got a team that met recently and a part of what we were talking about is do we do that again this year or, uh, we're committed to doing it again. We felt like, no, this feels really significant and important. Feels important to, to bring these people together to have these conversations. So we're figuring all of that out. We will have another gathering possibly this fall we're working out the dates. Uh, if you want to know what those are, be at the front end of that. Like, follow me on the Instagram. I think I'm M Goldsworthy on the Instagram. Uh, follow my newsletter, which you can sign up for at mikegoldsworthy.com, or just keep listening to this podcast and I will put it out when we've got those dates together. Now we got a few more. I think we'll do three or four more episodes before we'll take a bit of a break here. Uh, but coming up, Coming up, we're going to be talking with not today, but in coming weeks, we're going to talk with Sarah Swartzendruber. I hope that I got her name right there. And we're going to talk to her about parenting after deconstruction. So some of you are in places where you have been in a process of, uh, of sort of like reimagining your faith and trying to make sense of it. And the way that you talk to your kids about faith, the way that you even engage them in church. You're trying to figure out what does that mean and look like. And so Sarah's doing some great work there and talk to her about that. We're going to talk to Aaron Nequist. Aaron is going to help us sort of like navigate what it looks like to be learning from an evangelical tradition and liturgical traditions. And like, how do we find ways forward with that? How do we find ways forward as a church, as we think about formation and even, even what we're doing in our gatherings and our times together and, and how that like affects formation work. We're gonna talk with Sean Palmer. Sean has a new book coming out a little bit later this year, and we're gonna we're gonna get into some of the content of that. We're talking about communication and using the Enneagram as a tool that both helps us like understand ourselves well as we communicate, but also helps us to understand like how we're being received. And one of the things that I've discovered in my coaching of preachers, as well as I teach uh, preaching for undergrad, one of the things that I have discovered in that. Is that sometimes preachers, and I think that this is true for a lot of communicators, we do like we have something that we want to say because it's like what we want to say and it's sort of self gratifying work. And we negate taking the audience into account and how I'm being received and heard by the audience in order to best be helpful for them. And so Sean's done some great work around this, particularly as an Enneagram expert. And so super fascinating to combine those two disciplines. And so I think what he has to offer is really helpful, whether you are a preacher, some sort of teacher, whether you communicate at work, uh, in whatever sort of way you are having to communicate to others and understand how you are being heard and received and what you're bringing, what they're bringing to it. Like he's got some really great stuff. So we're going to talk about that in a few weeks, but today, today we got my friend, Matthew Vines, hanging out with us. Matthew, we we talk about all kinds of things. We talk about what it looks like to become affirming of same-sex marriages while also holding on to a high view of Scripture, that you do not have to lose one in order to pursue the other. We talk about why the church still matters to him. We spent a little bit of time reflecting on Rachel Held Evans and um, why he had— a close relationship with her and we talked a bit about like why do they resonate with one another what what's even like kind of missing in the larger church conversation by her voice not being there right now we talk about attending a church that doesn't affirm same-sex marriage as somebody whose work is helping churches affirm become affirming of same-sex marriages Uh, so we talked to him about his sort of personal experience in that We talk about some video curriculum he's got coming out uh, with the Reformation Project, which is reformationproject.org, and it goes into sort of a deep dive on, like, if you want to be somebody who holds a high view of scriptures, deals with the relevant texts in order to try and make sense of, like, how do you end up at this affirming place? So we get into all of that. I am excited for you to get to hear from my friend Matthew, so we'll move it over there. Well, friends, we have Matthew Vines hanging out with us today. And Matthew is the founder and executive director of the Reformation Project. He's the author of God and the Gay Christian, the biblical case in support of same-sex relationships. He lives in Dallas, Texas, and Matthew, you recently got engaged to Zach, so congratulations. thank you. I'm pretty happy about it. It was super fun to see the photos. I mean, I knew something was coming at some point, but didn't know exactly when, and then it just looked like it just looked really
0: beautiful. Do you mind like sharing a little of the story? Oh, sure, sure. I mean, people want to go to my Instagram and look at the pictures. No, I mean, basically, I had wanted to because I'm very cheesy. I had originally wanted to get engaged like years ago. i wanted to get engaged in some nice, you know, big trip, uh, maybe some international trip, you know, do some Paris thing or whatever, just to be as, you know, cliche as possible. But with the pandemic, it just it wasn't really easy to do any to actually have any confidence in planning trips like that. And so actually here in Dallas, where I live, there is a really there's an opera house here that I just think has this stunning theater. They have this really beautiful glass chandelier it's made of 300 glass led lights and they can go in all sorts of cool shapes and everything and it's actually where zach took me on our first kind of official date almost four years ago now we both really love theater we didn't go to see an opera because we're not that sophisticated we just went to see a play because they do plays and musicals there as well and so yeah i actually i reached out to the i had to reach out to a number of people there they said no one had ever asked to do a proposal on their stage but they said i could do it And so there was an evening where there wasn't a performance. And so they let me do it. And they had like, you know, sound and light guy who stayed and it was. And then I blindfolded Zach when he got in the car. So he wouldn't know where we were going until we were center stage, took off the blindfold. So, and he said, yes. So uh, I was, yeah, I was pretty happy with it. And then, you know, we've already been back to a show there since then. So I'm all, you know, very happy with myself that now, you know, it has even more personal significance, but uh, yeah, I'm pretty pumped.
1: I love that. I love that. I'm really excited for you. And can I ask you a question just completely out of ignorance? And my kids, I was showing my kids the pictures of you getting engaged. And when my kids asked me, they're like, I'm just kind of curious when with a gay couple, like, how do you decide who does the proposal? And I was like, I genuinely don't know how to answer that.
0: Yeah. So I it's kind of just how anybody wants to do it. In our case, we just talked about it. I mean, we definitely were both we knew where this was going from very early in the relationship. So we just talked about it. He was particularly busy at work at the end of the year. And so he felt like he didn't really have the mental capacity to plan it the way he would want to. And I was a little bit less busy after our conference was over and at the end of October. So I was like, great, I'll do it. So we just kind of discussed it and decided. And then I had I told him in advance, the date and time, because I knew I wanted him to be able to feel happy with how he looked for the pictures, but he didn't know like where or anything. And he hadn't told me he was going to say yes. Right. So, so we all had a little bit of, obviously I knew he would, but you know, you just got to add some, some surprise factor. I
1: love it. I love that. And you know, where can folks find like your wedding registry so they can, you know, send you gifts. You got that all (laughs) set up for everybody. We don't have it yet, but I appreciate the thought. Yeah. You know, you got to get that and, and send it over to the folks over here on the podcast so we can we can celebrate you all.
0: Great. Yeah, I'll just, you know, just tweet that. Just be like, well, I'm accepting gifts. Do it. To Please right.
1: do. Well, you know, for people who don't know you, and my guess is that a good number of the folks who are listening know you. But for those who don't and don't don't know the work of the Reformation Project, do you mind giving just a quick snapshot of the work that you've been doing for
0: it's like the past decade ish? Yeah, it's been 10 years, 10 years that's here. So okay. it was, yeah, early 2012, you know, time does just, just move right along that I gave a talk at a church in Wichita, Kansas, which is where I'm from about the Bible and same sex relationships. And then that turned into a book, my book that I wrote, God and the gay Christian that came out a couple years later, it turned into my organization, the Reformation Project, which I started in between those two things in 2013. Really my goal from the beginning, you know, I grew up in a conservative Presbyterian church in Kansas. And when I was even before I had come out to myself, but when I was just grappling with this topic on a more impersonal level, I felt a great conflict between, you know, kind of how I had been raised and what I felt like was just clearly not right and not just and and not and not correct. And what I felt like just could not have been the proper understanding of scripture on this topic. But the problem was that This conversation, and this in many ways remains the case, which is something I'm working to address, is so often kind of polarized along the lines of everything else in our society, where it's like you're either a progressive and therefore you believe this, or you're a conservative and therefore you believe that. And the way that that gets played out in a theological and church sense is you either, if you believe in the authority of the Bible, then you're not going to support same-sex marriage. If you don't really have as high view of the Bible, then sure, you're going to do that and so often more progressive leaning Christians reinforce these perceptions because there is some truth to that i don't think it's true as an absolute statement but certainly it people's concerns are rooted in the interpretation of biblical texts and if somebody just doesn't care as much about the biblical text then yeah it's a lot easier to uh, have whatever opinion you might want on something but i just think that's a very my 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 approach in the beginning my argument from the beginning has been that christians can both affirm the authority of the bible and affirm same-sex relationships so that remains it's i think it's a a very unhelpful framing that is reinforced by people from both camps really that says you need to actually become a theological progressive in order to become affirming oftentimes more conservative christians like this approach because it means that you don't even actually have to have the conversation you can just say well are you with do you you know, do you believe in the authority of the Bible? Do you believe in divinity, resurrection, you know, all, all these things, right? Do you believe in Orthodox Christian like core beliefs? If so, then this is, we all are the people who believe in those things and we do not agree with this. And then sometimes more progressive leading people, even though they are LGBTQ affirming, sometimes they're actually a little bit more invested in promoting progressive theological viewpoints across the board. And so they find it advantageous as well to suggest that, well, actually, to become a firm, you really need to become a theological progressive. You need to become a progressive Christian who, you know, is a big fan of Richard Rohr and who just has, You you have to change your entire, you must now dislike all of these people and you must like all of these people and you're not allowed to hold certain beliefs. You're not allowed to believe in penal substitutionary atonement anymore. Nope, bad. You're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to believe that sex should be for marriage. nope, that's you know you're you can go through the list on all these things that shouldn't even be connected to LGBTQ, but it can be advantageous from people from both camps to suggest that actually these things must go together i think from I think from the standpoint of a gay Christian who grew up in a conservative church and overall liked it, and not that I didn't have any other you know critiques, but overall, like the heart of it. Definitely. I'm very grateful for that. And I I just think it's an incredibly damaging message to send, especially for LGBTQ Christians in more conservative churches that just like, oh, because, you know, what you're asking in that position is, can I, can I be gay or can I be LGBTQ and be, and, and, and be a Christian in anything like the sense that I have always understood. And if actually you have to become a progressive Christian and change your view on, on most of the other first order theological issues, then what people are telling you even from the progressive camp is no you can't you cannot be lgbtq and you cannot have both hold on to your faith and accept your sexuality or gender identity i think it's a terrible message and i don't even think it's correct i think mm-hmm. so anyway this is my 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 hobby horse <laughs> has, has has long been about saying actually no this is a false choice and we can instead be driven back to the biblical text to study it more carefully and come to a more accurate understanding of the relevant passages on this topic uh, in order to allow us to both fully affirm the authority of scripture and LGBTQ people and their committed relationships.
1: Yeah, I mean, you were one of the people who were so helpful for me early on when I was processing this and trying to understand, because for me, it was so important to to intellectually be able to get there. My My wife and I, as we sort of like wrestled through our LGBTQ friends and their place in the church, and like what we did with that, she she came to an affirming place before I did. and like she came there first from like, maybe out of like a bit of a justice and a relational standpoint was sort mm-hmm. of her starting point there. And my starting point was much more of an intellectual one, so it took me a little bit longer. and I needed folks like you who are taking the scriptures seriously, who are saying like, let's think about this through the scriptures rather than around the scriptures. And one of the things you you were at this gathering that we did last October and a bunch of like friends got to meet you for the first time and spend some time processing some of this with you. And one of the things that I heard from almost every person who met you for the first time is how offensive it was. Yeah. How offensive you were. That's first. The second thing that they said was I had no idea how conservative he is. Like I would have thought that he was super progressive on all these things, meaning theologically. Right. And right. they're like, oh, actually, Matthew's like really theologically conservative in a lot of ways. And in the way that we would talk about that theologically, not necessarily the way we talk that, about that politically. And oh, so, absolutely.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, and again, I, I I, very much separate theology and politics, which was probably helped for me by the fact that even though I grew up in a church that was, I didn't realize it at the time, but it was certainly a quite politically conservative church, but my parents were not. My parents have always been Democrats. And so, and while I'm not saying everyone's parents, I'm just saying that was personally helpful for me because I didn't ever go through the crisis of identity that some people do when they realize that they're not aligned with the Republican party or something. And then they feel like, oh, I guess I can't be a conservative Christian anymore Mm -hmm. in a theological sense. Whereas for me, I never had that moment at all, you know, and I didn't feel that. And I, that is, I have definitely, you know, that can sometimes be a more white experience. You know, you, you'll find that intersection of conservative theology and progressive politics in the Black church, in, in most Black churches that you would go to, so you're not going to find that same experience, but certainly for a lot of people growing up in white evangelical churches, if that's the only narrative you ever heard, then it can it can really do a number on you. But that was not my experience. And so I did find that quite helpful. I think that's been one of the things that made has contributed to me not feeling like I need to toss as many things out because While, again, I do think there are, you know, plenty of valid concerns and critiques that people have of the conservative church in the United States today, certainly, I I, I also have a lot of concerns and objections to a lot of progressive theology that feels much more like just a running list of negations of things that we don't believe anymore, rather than actually a sustainable and really considered a constructive argument for the things that we do believe that are distinctly Christian and Mm -hmm. so much of what you can find, you know, I'll go sometimes to certain progressive churches where I just feel like I went to the DNC on a Sunday and there really wasn't a clear difference. And and it's not that that in and of itself, I mean, to me, the problem is just the placing of it, right? Like if you want to go to the DNC, great, do that. That's not what I go to church for. And you can't actually tell the difference other than the occasional sprinkling of some really vague God language. And it's basically just like we're using the sprinkling of the occasional Christian word or two in order to basically just like, you know, be throwing in our lot with like one of the two sides in our culture war. I find that incredibly boring and also not helpful to well. Conservatives are doing it, so we're going to do it, too. It's like, but maybe actually it's not helpful in any direction. And we should not be as focused on trying to just give a little religious gloss to basically our political subculture (laughs) and instead realize that we've got, you know, we're the beneficiaries of this 2000 year old faith that fortunately, you know, has much deeper roots than, you know, our political divides today. So I just feel like so, so much of what happens in the progressive theological space is reactionary and is very much. And and again, I would agree with so many of the things that people are reacting against what well, you no, know, I would agree that they should react against them. There are so many problems. However, if that's all you, you are, you know, that's the primary thing that you're kind of being driven by is just a reaction against problems. I just think it's it's insufficient and it's inadequate. And, and over time, it, it tends to break down. So. I'm much, that's why a lot of people too, it's more common for people to just leave the church altogether than to leave a conservative church for a progressive church, because when you've experienced, not that, you know, uh, not that it was done perfectly, and in fact, it often isn't even done all that well, but when you've experienced the way that conservative churches approach, even just an issue like discipleship, putting it really at the very heart of what is being asked of church members. It's not just, we're asking you to do this once a week. It's we're asking you to radically restructure everything in your life, right around this and around your faith identity, around your belief in Jesus. This you take, taking every thought captive, right? Like this is everything to you. So then if for various reasons, you get to a place where this, the framework that you were given, isn't working for you anymore. It's not very satisfying to then say, well, I'll go to, you know, this church that is basically telling me I can have my faith as one of like 12 things that are important to me in my life. It almost to a lot of people feels like, why not just move on? Like, this is clearly not filling that. It's not meeting that same. It's not it's not creating that same thing that I had before. It's such a shadow of that. And I'm not saying that this is the reality in any church that might be considered progressive. And it does depend on how you might use your words and what you mean by that. Oftentimes a church might be considered progressive just because they, you know, they let women, you know, do a scripture reading, right? On Sunday. I mean, I mean, the churches that tend to define themselves as being like theologically progressive and in the sense they're there. And part of that is like, we don't have a statement of faith. Like all we have is, you know, we don't actually have any, what do we believe as a church? You know, we, we can't tell you because we've experienced having clarity around beliefs as harmful. And so now we don't, it's, it's at that point where it's just kind of like, what are we doing at this point? Anyway, that's mine.
1: Yeah, well, so, so many questions can come out of that. The the one though that I want to ask you that comes to top of mind is like, you're, you have seen and experienced a lot of hurt and damage in the church that like, obviously a lot of that is coming to the surface over the last several years where a lot more folks are becoming aware of that. And which is driving some of what you're talking about for some folks, but as, as a queer Christian, like the, you have not been treated well in the church for a long time, and so I would imagine that your antenna has been up to that, been been like attuned to that in ways that maybe mine hasn't for a longer period of time, and yet you still seem to love the church and care about the church and see value in the church and have this positive move towards the church. Like, do you mind paying payment? paint a little picture of like, why does
0: the church still matter to you? Why are you still invested in it? I mean, ultimately the church matters because, I mean, to me, it's like, what the kind of the first principles here are like, is Christianity true? Okay. Because if Christianity is not true, then, then these things don't matter nearly as much. They just matter in the sense of how do we get along as a society sort of, and how do we try to have a good fulfilling life in, in whatever way we understand that, but if Christianity is true right? Like if it's true that, right, there's one God who created the universe, right? That happens in the earth, that Jesus is his only son, like came to earth, died for our sins, was literally raised from the dead, that through faith in him, right, we have been adopted as children of God, that we have the the promise of eternal life with God, that we will one day, right? All of these things, like that we are then getting to participate in God's work of right, renewing and restoring the world. Then that's why the church matters, right? Because that's actually, it's part of a broader narrative about who we are, like what our deepest identity is, right? As a human being created in the image of God. And the fact that the church is often falls very short of what it should does not alter whether that is true or not. And if it's true, then you can't just give up on it. Now, I mean, personally, you might be in a season where you're just like, I can't right now. But in a, in a broader sense, it's doesn't, it doesn't make a lot of sense to just sort of say, well, that's just this group of people. It's not just a country club. It's not just, oh, why do you wanna be accepted by this group of people that doesn't want you? It's, it's not about being accepted by a group of people. It's mm-hmm. about helping to participate in and advance the mission of God, right, through the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. if Christianity is true, then I feel like you're gonna have a much higher tolerance level for putting up with things from people it doesn't mean that you, want, you need to stay at a particular congregation that might be particularly egregious. Um, but recognizing that our faith in Christ confers this special status and identity on us that connects us to other Christians, even Christians who might not have a church home at the moment, even Christians who might also have had negative church experiences, to me, like, that's why I, I, it doesn't make sense for me to just let go of the whole concept of church because it's, it's not, it's not just like another organization.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So this, this, like the thing that I thought of as you were talking or the person, I actually thought of a person as you were talking and I thought about Rachel Held Evans, um, who I didn't get to know at all. We just had a little bit of, of email correspondence. And I know you knew her quite well. And I think of like um, one of the losses I feel like the church has right now is obviously her voice. And she was this person who some people labeled her as a progressive Christian, but in a lot of ways like she wouldn't fit in that category. She kind of straddled these worlds in ways yeah. where she still like loved the church and was passionate about the church and about scripture. I, I would just be curious to hear you like, just share a little bit about Rachel. And for those of us that didn't get to know her, like how she was able to navigate that, hold those sorts of things together, what, what we're missing in the church by missing her voice right now.
0: So many things. I think she was the most redemptive aspect of Twitter. I'll tell you that. And then it's just more of a dumpster fire than it was before. But what part of the reason that I really connected with her was that and why i think she connected with me was just because i felt like we were had had somewhat similar experiences where and we're trying to do somewhat similar things in in the sense that really like committed to our faith from a very young age and that had never changed and really loved jesus and wanted to faithfully follow and serve him but for a reason that was you know, primarily related to, I guess, an identity question, right? Like with her being a woman, with me being gay, but also just related to it's not just identity, it's also then developing, I suppose you could say more progressive beliefs about those identities, then that kind of puts us in this no man's land. But because of our love for the church, we didn't just want to walk away. You're trying to stay and, and engage in a way that is still like loving, respectful, but also being willing to become a lightning rod, even if you don't really want to, (laughs) because that's just what taking certain positions on some of those things will inevitably cause. So yeah, I mean, that was one thing that I always, I, I certainly always felt a kinship with her because I felt like we were kind of doing something similar in that sense. But also I really appreciated that she was never, there was a lot more, I feel like thoughtfulness and and discernment and how she would go about evaluating just different things in theology and church practice. She was I didn't feel like she was a engaged in the kind of knee jerk rejection of just like huge amounts of Christian doctrine because of like having had negative experiences or being mad at like large numbers of, you know, Christians for, you know, for making, you know, decisions that we really disagree with. So, yeah, I mean, I think that she was definitely holding a lot of things in tension in a way that is hard to do and that I think has that has been a loss, not just for the church, but also for. I don't know, for a lot of people who even maybe have left the church, because when you see fewer role models or examples of how to hold those things in tension, I do think that that is, that that makes it harder. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's been, it's going to be three years this year. And it's, in some ways it feels like not that long. In other ways it feels like a really long time, but no, I'm, I mean, I'm so grateful to have, you know, known her and just that she was alive for the time that she was. And mm. I think that her work was really, and her voice was really beautiful.
1: Yeah. 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 Thank you for sharing that. So you attend a non-affirming church and your work is about trying to help churches become affirming. So like, help me, help me a little bit with like, how does that tension sit with you? Like, how do you, how does it feel to be in a church like that? Like, how do you, how do you reconcile that?
0: I mean, so yes, I mean, this is where it's kind of like, there is a spectrum, right? It's not just a, Even though, in a sense, there are certain questions that are binary, like, does the church do same-sex weddings? It's a yes or a no. Mm -hmm. And so in that sense, there's a binary aspect to it. But there's also such a spectrum of, like, where a church is at on the non-affirming to affirming spectrum. So I would not feel comfortable going to a church that's at the hard end of the non-affirming spectrum because they probably wouldn't even want me to go there. And so it's just going to be awkward um, for everyone and uncomfortable. You don't really want to go to church where you feel like there's this constant sense of tension around your presence or participation in the community. However, there are a lot of churches that are not yet to a fully affirming place, but you can just tell they're on the way there, right? Because whether it's that the pastor, you know, or pastors, like the leadership themselves are affirming, or are really moving in an affirming direction. And so they're not going to, I I guess, one of the dividing lines is, do people would past would LGBTQ people be treated pastorally the equivalent of like somebody who's cheating on their spouse? or are they treated almost like in a special category where they're it's not like, here's our holy ostracism approach. If it's a holy ostracism approach, that's going to be a very negative experience. I mean, I, I don't see how that's going to be a positive experience for anybody. But there are a lot of churches that that kind of recognize, well, this is kind of in this middle ground area. And even if we're not at a place where we're fully there yet, we're also not at a place where we're going to say, we definitely think this is wrong. (laughs) And so sometimes I think for me, the the way that I find it manageable, it would not be manageable if I felt like the whole leadership of the church was just dead set against me. I'd be like, that's going to be too rough. But if you feel, and you know, through your relationships and you feel a strong sense of, of welcome and actually like people really want, the leadership actually wants you to be there and is happy that you are there. And you feel like the church is moving in a more affirming direction then i'm fine with that because and you know not everybody would be some people which i understand if you really if what you really want to do is have some leadership role that you're not currently eligible for based on that then that's probably not going to be the best fit for you i don't have a desire to have a particular leadership role at my church i just want to go and worship and you know you know have fellowship right with other people so that's I'm, yeah, I, I'm fine with that. Obviously, I I want all churches to become affirming, but it does take time. It's a process. And I don't want the process to be rushed because if the process is rushed, then it can have really negative unintended effects that ultimately are not even good for the LGBTQ people you were trying to be helping in the first place.
1: It's really helpful for me to not think about it as a binary. And I wonder, one of the things that I have been thinking is coming, and I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this, one of my predictions has been that in the next 10 or 15 years that that people are from both the progressive side and the conservative side are demanding more clarity from where their church is at on all sorts of different issues Mm -hmm. right like right now as we're talking in some churches crt is a big thing on like where are you at with these sorts of things so it seems to me with a demand from both the right and the left for churches to clarify their stance on things that over the next 10 years or so, that more churches that have been in that sort of like messy middle and have been ambiguous are gonna have to provide some clarity around LGBTQ inclusion. And we're gonna see this break of churches. We're gonna see a lot less that sort of are ambiguous and a lot more that are making a stand one way or another. Do you feel like that's fair or
0: what's your read? That's uh, probably because that just seems to be the trend of everything. On a yeah. pick, pick your topic. That seems to be the way that things are going, and it's not. I mean, there there are some positive aspects to that, but there can be negative aspects of it too. If you have churches that actually could have been moving in a more open direction, but then don't, and actually then kind of double down on a more exclusionary position because they feel like they're being forced to pick pick a stance, and they're not at a place where an affirming position is a stance. They're Ready to take. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I tend to be just pretty sympathetic to the position of pastors, which I think it's, it's much easier to kind of, I mean, you can, anybody can go to any church and pick at things and listen to any sermon. And if you want to, you could write an email or a tweet about what you didn't like in the sermon. But I just feel like how depressing for a pastor, Mm. right? If it's just like, oh, here are the the dozen emails from this week about people who didn't like this week's sermon. And it's like, it's not that there's never that you should, that that you would never be able to do that. But if that's the attitude that you're bringing with you, that like this church is going to be what I want it to be. And if it's ever gets out of line, the pastor's going to hear from me. It's just like, oh, you know, what a rough, like that's, it's hard enough to be a pastor. That just sounds miserable. So overall, I'm pretty sympathetic to the fact that, like, look, this stuff is not easy, and I think we need more—the more people who are able to provide kind of a listening ear, a non-judgmental, you know, approach for pastors that and able to be like a helpful resource for them in the process, which is really what I strive to be. I think that's much more helpful.
1: That's really good. Yeah, I do feel like folks that aren't pastors just don't understand or don't get. And so the ability to have some empathy in that direction, as you were, as you were sharing that, I was thinking about one of the letters I got one time after a Sunday that I had preached it was from a woman who at the opening of her letter, she said, I've made it a commitment this right, uh, this month to write a letter of gratitude every single day. So oh. like, so this is my letter of gratitude to you. And so that's how it starts. And she says, I want to thank you for the sermon that you preach this weekend. But it would have been so much better., what? and then the rest of the letter was ripping it apart. Oh. and it it was this like it was this terrible I didn't even know what to do with that, yeah, of this like, oh, I'm so I'm writing my letter of gratitude to you as a way to tell you everything that's wrong with you that is um, wow.
0: Her practice needed some refinement,
1: I suppose it, it did, right? and i I had this thing where I woke up. I, i've been out of local church vocational ministry now almost two and a half years and i woke up a couple of months ago one morning with like cold sweats remembering like one of the nasty things that somebody had written me and i was like gosh i thought that stuff had gone away so i appreciate the posture that you have towards pastors of like hey there's like it's it's really easy to criticize and especially during the pandemic like gosh i've I've been so lucky to not have to lead a church through that like how hard this time has been so anyways i'll let to say i appreciate your posture there so that does though lead me to want to ask you about pastors uh one of the one of the things that i am getting contacted about most often and i am sure you hear it way more than i do but our pastors who are in a church they're not the senior pastor and they have they have gone through an evolution of their view around lgbtq inclusion, and they've come to a place of becoming affirming and along with that they're now trying to figure out like what do i do with that because i'm in a church that is not affirming and and like how do i how do i like handle this what do i what do i do is there a place for me in this church do i need to leave this church and so i find myself having a lot of those sorts of conversations
0: i'd be curious what that conversation looks like from your end. It's very, it really depends on yeah. the person and their situation. It, so if the situation is you're an associate, you're one of four associate pastors and the senior pastor is dead set against this and has absolutely no openness to it, then that's kind of that. I mean, unless the senior pastor changes or the senior pastor leaves, there is nothing you can do. A church cannot become affirming if the senior pastor does not want it to become affirming. I mean, it doesn't even make any sense. Or, I mean, even if you're the senior pastor, but you would need to have the support of, you know, a board of elders. And if the vast majority of them are very strongly against it, then there's really nothing you can do. Um, I mean, I know it's a little depressing maybe, but it is just the reality of it. However, There are lots of other situations where, you know, maybe the senior, maybe you're an associate pastor and the senior pastor is not there, but is not completely, it would at least be willing to hear you out. I mean, if it's even possible for a lot of places, a win would be, is it even possible for me to share my affirming view with the senior pastor and not be fired? Mm -hmm. And that might be something that then is able to be the first, and and maybe the rule sometimes is like, you can share with me, but you can't share it publicly, but oftentimes it'd be, no, even you share, you holding that view alone, you're, you can no longer work here. So it just kind of depends how hard a church is about how it's approaching it. So if it's a particularly hard line approach, I think the options are really limited, but if you're in a church that is in a place of a little bit more openness around this. I think there are a lot more options and it's just a matter of. And that's where I think it can be much more effective and helpful for pastors or people in some kind of leadership position to remain in the church if it feels like, hey, there is some like if they could even see a possibility of like this church five, seven years from now, we we could be in that place. But we need people who are faithful and, yes, to some degree, patient. Stewards of that process, and so that just depends on the culture of the church. You know, I mean, I or somebody who, even if it's not that the elder board is against it, but you know, if if it's a pastor who you're a pastor of an extremely conservative church, and there'd be none of your 200 congregants who would be cool with this, you're not going to be able to change all their minds, right? It's not going to happen. So. At that point, if you wanted to be public about it, it would be through how you resigned, right? And, and, and through step, stepping back. But is so I think that's the toughest, but where I think there's a lot more potential is again, those churches that are in somewhat of a more mixed gray area, where it can actually be extremely helpful to have somebody on staff or in leadership who is able to be a, a gentle advocate for this. Rarely is it helpful for somebody to kind of just say, I am going to become the person nobody wants to talk to again, because I'm going to be, you know, tearing into everybody over this all the time. I mean, that's generally not very helpful. It often comes from a good place. People feel this incredible passion about it, rooted in the fact that this is a life and death issue. The fact that they're, I mean, you know, if you really begin to absorb how damaging the church's not like the non-affirming position is, it, it, it's, it's very intense. And it can be a very overwhelming experience for people when they're just coming to terms with that for the first time, and they feel some level of complicity in that, and they really want to say, oh, I need to, you know, wash my hands of any complicity in this, because I see the incredible harm this is doing. It's a great first place. There is a great start to say, okay, I have this now fire in my bones around, I've got to fix this, but you've still got to practice discernment in how you go about kind of executing that because if you're, you know, If you're the pastor of a church and then you have a road to Damascus kind of conversion experience on this topic on Wednesday and then on Sunday, you just step in the pulpit and say, guess what? I did our first same sex wedding yesterday. I mean, the church will fall apart and you can tell your like, if you want, you can have a narrative that says, well, I was the righteous martyr and was martyred for the cause. And it's like, I appreciate your passion. And I do think that your position is correct. However, you probably could have handled this in a much better way. Yeah. And did that, if the church then falls apart, how many LGBTQ people then have a church to go to? No more than did the day before because this church doesn't even exist anymore. So that's part of the reason why I think it's really difficult because people can, they'll feel this nagging tension that's kind of eating away at them. I don't, I feel like I'm, signing on to this position that I can't agree with. And that's just something you've got to make the decision for yourself about around how much movability is there here? How long is this going to take? How much patience do you have? But if you're able to have some patience and if there is some movement possible, I do think it's incredibly valuable to have people in those positions helping to move things forward one step at a time in that process.
1: Yeah, that's good. Yeah. If if everyone who's affirming ends up uh, jumping ship, then who's left to help it push forward it's it's got an obvious a trajectory it's going to go if everybody if everybody jumps ship so that feels like a good time to ask you a little bit about like you just put out this great video curriculum to help people wrestle through this so i would love to hear a little bit about like what that is how it can be helpful for folks
0: yeah it's i filmed it last summer so then it came out toward the end of the year. It's a seven hour, 20 module video course about the biblical case for LGBTQ inclusion that in a lot of ways is kind of like an update to my book. It's not, I mean, obviously it's not like the biblical texts have changed, but I'm really trying to remain engaged with any critiques, counter arguments that have been put forward. It's really trying to respond and engage in detail with kind of how this conversation continues to develop in right from a theological perspective while continuing to put forth a detailed argument for continuing to both affirm the authority of the Bible, continuing to affirm core Orthodox Christian beliefs, creedal, right? Apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed level beliefs, and showing how you can hold on to those things while changing your mind about LGBTQ inclusion. And that it's really important to do that because if you you go down the route of, I'm gonna become affirming and now kinda, who really cares? about the creeds, who really cares about the Bible in any authoritative sense. I mean, people can do that if they want, but I think there's a lot that gets lost in that process and it also is pretty damaging to the cause of LGBTQ Christians in general, because it sends the message that if, if Orthodox Christian beliefs are important to you, right? If the deity and right death and resurrection of Jesus Christ are important to you, then steer clear of this conversation and especially when we have you know if there are when there are churches that become affirming and then you check back in a few years later and they don't believe in the divinity of jesus they don't believe in the atonement not even a particular theory just the atonement as a fact as a reality they their you know resurrection is maybe maybe not that sends a pretty clear message to anybody who is on the fence that uh, this isn't even about lgbtq (laughs) This is about these much deeper issues. And if those things are important to you, then you should stay where you are. And that has a very negative effect on LGBTQ Christians for whom this is a life and death conversation. And I just think it's a a really unfortunate kind of thing that can happen sometimes when people, I think maybe haven't backed out enough to really think through, all right, What are going to be the implications if I move here, here? What is the foundation that I need to lay in the process? And so sometimes when people just rush headlong into things, you look back a few years later and you think that was not that helpful. Like you may have had good intention, but ultimately this was not very helpful to LGBTQ Christians.
1: So do you imagine this being used in like small groups in the church, leadership teams, people that are parents who've had their kids come out and are trying to make sense of? Like, yes. what do I think
0: about this? Anything and everything. I will say it's pretty detailed. So it's not, I would say it's kind of more of like, if somebody's already read some books about this and wants to go deeper, but in general, you know, if somebody's saying, oh, I'm interested, you know, I, I would say it's a good thing to do. Like after, like I, I would recommend that people, if they hadn't read my book and were trying to learn more about this, I would start with reading my book <laughs> or, you know, cause I have plenty okay. of videos online too, that are a bit more kind of just like overall bird's eye view. This is definitely a more thorough for the people who are really interested in all the the details of the discussion. So that's probably more likely to be pastor and leader types than a parent whose kid just came out to them. But it could be a parent whose kid came out to them, you know, a year ago and has read some books and wants to wants to explore deeper.
1: So maybe God and the gay Christian is like 101 and then video curriculum is like
0: 201. Yes. Yeah.
1: That's great.
0: It was a lot more work than I thought it was going to be. I kind of thought like, oh, I've been living and breathing this stuff, you know, for all these years. This I was like, oh, no, actually, it's a lot of work. And then you end up doing a lot of new research, but it's fun. So it's just if you go to reformationproject.org, that's where you can purchase it.
1: Perfect. Perfect. Well, Matthew, I'm so grateful for you. I'm really grateful for your work. I'm grateful for the way that you show up in the world. Not only your work in helping churches work through, and people like me work through LGBTQ inclusion, but also just the 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 way, again, like that you show up in the world, the way that you are working towards not living in these sort of binary spaces, moving from one way to the other. I think you give us a great example of to what it looks like to to still pursue Christ and to allow us to ask new and different questions of the text and to trust the text in those questions.
0: Well, thank you. Okay. I have one. I, I have like a final thought if that's okay. Okay. Please. Well, because based on this conversation, I had a conversation recently with a pastor who is on staff at a non-affirming church, but one that is in some kind of, you know, there's some transition happening. It feels like it could become affirming in the not too distant future. And he asked me, he said, okay, so what are the basic ground rules for how to help your church become affirming without it going off the deep end? (laughs) And Mm. when I I tried to distill it, this is just from my experience with a lot of different churches, is that in order to become affirming and maintain a strong Christian foundation and and not just kind of be, you know, just running around like a chicken with your head cut off, I think it's really important that people have a really clear theological foundation for their shift to become affirming. It cannot just be rooted in secular mantras of love is love or even, you know, just the basic concept of, well, God is love, therefore, right? You got to go a lot deeper than that. You need to have a very clear theological basis for what your position is. Second, you need to be super clear with yourself and with your whole church about exactly what you are affirming. You can't just say, we're now affirming. You need to specify what that means. So I've been very clear yeah. from the beginning, Reformation Project is very clear. We are advocating for monogamous, covenantal relationships. Keep the standard, the same standard that has always applied to everybody and include LGBTQ people within that. It's not a kind of, oh, just a generic kind of sex positivity, whatever consensual things you want to do, we're going to bless. And a lot of people, if you're not clear, a lot of people will come in and they'll just have, a, you know, they've followed up people on Instagram, but that's their perspective. They'll just assume that's what you're saying as well. So you got to be super clear about exactly what you're affirming, what you're not affirming and why. And thirdly, I think you have to then be ready to re-articulate the church's core faith beliefs not just not about not even about gender and sexuality, just what is the heart of the Christian faith. You have to be ready to rearticulate that because a lot of people will be at some place of vulnerability where they're not sure what to believe anymore after they've changed their mind on this. And so I think if a church is able to do those things, have a clear theological basis for the shift, explain very clearly what you are affirming, what you're not affirming and why. And then thirdly, be able to rearticulate the kind of reteach the basics of the faith, right the christian faith that is going to set up a church for much uh, a much greater shot at making that shift in a way that is positive and actually a positive example for other churches to follow rather than something that is seen as a cautionary tale so oh and then last point on that we do have a program called pastors in process that is specifically for pastors of non-affirming churches who are wanting to help lead the churches in a more affirming direction in a way that is still committed to scripture still committed to core christian Orthodox beliefs um, about Jesus. So that's if people are interested, they should definitely just reach out. You can go to the website, fill out the form. You can, you know, people can shoot me an email. I'm always happy to talk with pastors because I know it can be a lonely, a lonely position to be in. And I, yeah, so that's all.
1: I love that. That's so helpful. There's so many more things that I wanted to talk to you about. I wanted to talk to you about stuff around deconstruction. I wanted to talk to you about leadership structures in the church and I had a whole bunch of other things so do you you want to do like a
0: final do you want to pick one for a final question or no 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 no, no, no.
1: let's let's wrap it up and let's have like a whole another time where we do this it only took us like four months to get this one scheduled that's right that's right we'll do it again and then we'll have the time to like we'll move beyond like because you're not t- you're not typecast as just the guy who can talk about lgbtq inclusion in the church like you've got lots of other thoughts and opinions that are interesting and experiences that speak into that that are interesting and helpful so like let's do a let's find out time to do a whole nother round where we talk about okay. a bunch of other stuff
0: sounds good fun. well thanks so much for having me mike i appreciate it
1: thanks matthew it's always good to see you